Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This premier independent fan experience podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and brings you honest and in-depth Montreal Canadiens discussion and entertainment. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Pudney are proud to be one of your trusted sources for Habs and hockey news. If you are talking about it, so are we. And welcome to Habs Unfiltered, episode 195. I am your host, Blaine Pudvay. I'm joined now by my co-host, Matt Smith. Afternoon. Uh, Treg Wilson cannot be with us here today as he is, uh, he's got some family uh, responsibilities to take care of. So he sends his best regards and I, I hope he's, he's having fun. <laughs> he's having fun with his family because it's, it, it's a fun thing that he's doing. So um you know, enjoy that time. Um, so in this episode, we're going to cover basically the end of the Montreal Canadiens as we know it. It has been sadly pointed out to me on, on Twitter that uh, uh, this this team has no hope. Um, they're completely de- destitute. There is no chance whatsoever. They are zero and two. So I think you hit the nail. You hit the nail yeah. right on the head. I was thinking the yeah. same thing. <laughs> it is. I'm sorry for sending you that on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> it's panic at the Bell Center, to, as a play on words for panic at the disco. I hit that button, <clears throat> spin me right round, baby, right. So yeah. Uh, so I guess this episode's the funeral episode for the. 21 22 season as well this might smell this may as well just be the uh we're drafting shane Wright uh, uh episode really so what uh what's what's the hashtag for for that i i don't know there's a there's a bunch going around i just don't know why off the top of my head <laughs> right to the bottom there you go <laughs> ah, hashtag right to the bottom there you go teams oh and two they will never win a game Let's just go 0-82 and yeah. Just done. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So obviously we're making fun of, well, I mean, are are we surprised, honestly, by the reaction? I'm not, I'm not at all. You get a team that just went to the Stanley Cup final and uh, everyone's just going to expect them to do the exact same thing. Um. But when you look at the rosters, they're completely different. So it is it is what it is. You know that they could they could have won both games and it would have been, you know, they didn't score enough or this player, you know, player X didn't do enough or whatever else, right? So yeah, there's always going to be people that are going to bench. You, and luckily, you know, we're here to talk about. It. That's right. And just to you know bring people back to reality a little bit and make them realize that losing two games at the start of the season is not the end of the world. Uh, Tampa Bay is also 0-2. No, they won last night. Did they win last night? Yeah, they came back. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, it was like seven to six. Oh, uh, well, they wanted they wanted overtime. There you go. All right, I, I retract my statement. It's time to <laughs> it's time to panic. That's right. But seriously, I mean, come on. They gave up six goals to, to Detroit. Detroit. But Montreal let up five to Buffalo. So <laughs> is it that much of a difference? Really? <laughs> it's about the same. It's one's got one Stevie. Happened. One's got Stevie Y. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. But let's be honest. Like, let's look at this honestly. The game against Toronto, the Canadians, they had some good moments and some bad moments, but yeah. All in all, they competed and they just came up short. You can argue that Nylander's goal was scored with maybe too many men on the ice and they took advantage of that. It doesn't matter. They lost. Yeah. Yeah. That's the end result. But they were in the game and they were competing. They were. And especially the first, say, 10 minutes of the game or yeah. so, um, until the penalty started happening, that was yes. really that was really what drew, the, drew, back that, uh, drew back the momentum that they had. Other other than that, it was it was mistakes that they made that led to their demise. Really, at the end of the game. True, and in the second game, which was a trap game, and it's a back to back, and there it's Buffalo's home opener, and there's a lot of reasons why both Toronto and Buffalo would be super motivated to play the Canadians right away. Uh, Toronto is avenging their first round playoff loss. You know, because Toronto can only win in the regular season, not playoffs. So this is a big deal for them. And for the Sabres, it's their it's their home opener. And a bunch of guys who everyone is saying are the worst hockey players in the NHL wanting to prove something. So they show up. Hey, here's a team that was in the cup final, their division rival. We're, it's our home opener. Let's, you know, the motivation was there. there that's not an excuse. It's just, this is what they faced. Yeah, true. Um, there's a lot of reasons why the Canadians lost, and a lot of it has to do with themselves. But um, before we get to that, there was some news today as we're recording. It's Friday. Uh, it's October 15th. And Pierre Lebrun reported that uh, according to the news that he saw, uh, well, the paperwork he saw with the league for Weber's LTI, it's looking very likely that he will never play again. So what's your thoughts on that? Something you don't want to see. Um, obviously there's, there's always the hope that you're going to have the player back and uh, the player is going to go out on his terms, et cetera. Um, it's a, uh, it's kind of heartbreaking to be honest. I've been a Shea Weber fan my whole life and uh, he's been a, he's been a fantastic leader on this team. He's been a fantastic player. Um, you look at him and you just kind of breathe leadership and uh, it's something that this team is lacking right now. And I know that's something that you're going to get into in a bit. Um, yeah. It's just not something you want to see. Um, hopefully he's healing up and uh, hopefully these, uh, these injuries that he's going to have that he, that he's currently dealing with, even though we might not be able to play hockey again, hopefully he'll still be able to, uh, you know, live a, uh, a normal pain-free life with his family. Right. Yeah, and that's that's really the key at this point. Um, yeah, it, being able to <clears throat> move transition to the next stage in his uh, his life, whatever next whatever the next career may be, as long as he's able to have a full life at home with his family, because he has young children at home. He, you know, he's still still fairly young. He's only thirty six, so. He, you don't want to be hobbling around the rest of your life, yeah. you know, struggling to, uh, to work, struggling to just live normally. So whatever the issue is, that's <clears throat> that he's facing, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, hopefully he can, he can get to that normalcy again. Absolutely. Um, but on the hockey side, this is a massive blow to the Canadians and, I know that we talked about this through the summer after the playoffs were done and this news came out, we kind of expected there to be issues, but you don't realize how important those little intangibles are until they're not there. And I honestly believe we are seeing a massive, massive leadership vacuum right now with the Canadians. And that is a 
in my opinion, a major reason why they're off to that slow start. I agree. I hundred percent. You lose a guy like Weber, obviously Carey Price is out and he's dealing with, uh, with the issues that he's having and uh, all the best to him, of course. Uh, but you lose two guys like that. Just having the confidence in someone like Carey Price, and this isn't a knock on, on Allen. Uh, I thought he played a really good game against the Leafs. Um, but you lose a guy like Weber, and you know he shows it on the ice, and he, you know the guys want to, you know, he won the Messier Award. There's a there's a reason for it. They don't just give that to anybody. And um, to, to to lose both those guys, like, and then you. You, you know, you, you lose, you lose Deneau and I'm not going to say that Deneau was at the level of leadership as the other two, but you lose somebody like him, you lose Tatar and you, you just lost your, your top line for the last how many seasons. And, and I, and I think that's a reason that we're seeing uh, Gallagher out there just, you know, he's, he's still giving it his all, but there's no chemistry on his line. And it just seems that uh, it just seems that he's out there. I'm not gonna say floating, but he's the he's the spark on his line, and that's about it. Yeah, yeah. And, and you're looking at you know, Byron's out as well. He wore an A. Uh, right. Price is a massive uh, leader in that room. Um, Weber. This is all connected. And Gallagher, like you mentioned, his leadership is more watch me do what I do and try and emulate yep. it. He's not known to be a big rah-rah kind of guy or a guy that when he stands up, the words hit. Like with Weber, he has that, he that aura. Yeah, yeah he, he just takes he can, up the he can, room. Yeah. He's got that aura, that presence, that when he speaks, people stop and listen, and it, it impacts them. Yep. That is the type of leadership that he has. It's... Uh, it's it's a rare type of leadership so that i i feel like that has a lot to do with why the canadians lack that second effort especially on the the second night because buffalo completely outworked them they did at every single step all the 50 50 battles um the, the the puck races you know board battles all of it it was buffalo clearly wanted it more and without that leadership to kind of push them they didn't get they didn't have that extra step they didn't have that wake-up call i mean even after the the fans in buffalo and i know of the all everyone's gonna joke what both of them blah 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 yeah there were still fans there there was about eight thousand people and you could say half were just say were habs fans but that's still four thousand people gave a standing ovation to the Sabres after that first period. That's not insignificant because the Sabres really did play an excellent first period. Not And is it because the Canadians didn't give enough pushback? But either way, they had that standing ovation. And if I was one of the Montreal Canadiens, I would, I would have tried to use that as fuel. Yeah. But they didn't. No, they didn't. They they came up very flat, and uh, and I and I thought that their uh, their, their their discipline or lack thereof was uh, was very apparent. Yeah. And uh, once again, it was a lot of mistakes that they made themselves. And I and I thought that after the third goal, I thought they stopped playing. They definitely looked. They definitely looked like they they were just kind of going through the motions. Yeah. So like, I said it on Twitter. Um, Anderson went up the ice. All he had to do is dump the puck. He went in and he tried to uh, he tried to, uh, to 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 go in himself. He lost the puck. Comes back up the other ice. They set up. It's in the net. Yeah, yeah. And, and I know the play you're talking about. I remember. I remember when you said uh, when you mentioned that he lost the puck just after crossing into the Buffalo zone. All four uh, the other four Montreal Canadiens were still back. He was the only one up, and they had time to. Buffalo had time to bring the puck into the offensive zone, set up, and create a cycle. Yeah. So I don't blame but, Anderson but, for but that. But honestly, play. it was for me. It was you know dump it in, get a change. Is the guys had already been out there for a while. Sure. I, that's, that's that's personally what I would have done. But I mean, I don't think it would have changed anything because the the Sabers would have just brought it back up ice anyway. Yeah. I. 
I don't think it made a, as big of a difference. I, I agree. He should have just made the quick play, gotten a line change and hope for the uh, hope that the next line does something, but the way they were playing, I honestly don't think it would have made a difference. <clears throat> now you mentioned their, their lack of discipline, which was an issue, but uh, we can get into the special teams now. I mean, the penalty kill has failed them in both games. Awful. Awful. Yeah. It has been far too static. Yeah. Um, so they is are, but so is, yeah. so is their power play uh, static. Well, both, they're both static. We're, we'll get into the power play. <laughs> Don't worry about that one. But the penalty kill, um, yeah, no, they're, they don't have that, uh, that edge that they had last year. Last year, even, even when they weren't going well, at least the penalty kill provided some kind of a threat to the other team. They were attacking the puck carriers. Uh, they, were, they were able to generate uh, a couple of breakaways here and there, even when it was going bad. But the, uh, these first two games, wow, they, they really anything. haven't. It's like, come to us, set yep. up. Yep. Um, the goalie might make a save. Yeah. And, right? now, that, and, and that's how it's been. And in game one, Jake Allen did the job. He, he did. did what he needed to do. He did. Uh, game two, they had Samuel Motavo, who's, uh, you know, going to be honest. He's, he'd be a good AHL starter, but as it comes for NHL backups, kind of weak. He was shaky. He was shaky. Yeah. He, he showed he showed some promise last night. He made some saves, um, but, but it's not his fault. No, not not they weren't all his fault. Some of these, uh, some of the goals that he had let in, even if they were weak, were plays that should never have even gotten to that point. So yeah. he holds some fault, but I'm going to be honest. It's a team effort on this one. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> Real. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's the only place the whole team got together and said, yeah, no, we're, we're all at fault. Um, but so the the penalty kill, the Richardson's going to have a lot of work to do. They they need to get a lot more aggressive uh, on the puck carriers. They try to get, they got to, they got to block off that cross seam pass. That's been an issue for a few years. Uh, but right now they don't, Teams aren't even trying to do that because they've got two wide open lanes just on either side of the very tight box that the Canadians have. Right. And it, so it, it seems that five on five power play, whatever. Yeah. Somebody can just go to the front of that. Yes. And then just hang out. Yes. So that's got to be fixed. We'll, and we'll get to that part too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> now on the power play. Oh, Wow. Um, I don't know what Burroughs is, it, it, what hit it like the one, three, one that Burroughs had started to get set up. It, it, it's supposed to be the same as last year's end of season playoffs, yep. you know, where the, uh, where the power play started to really look good. Like they were, they were about 20%. If they can get to that again, that, that would be acceptable. I would say. Um, but right now they're not even doing the one, three, one. It's more three one one because the three guys along the goal line, uh, and when you're getting the five on threes, they had two five on threes in the first two games, and in both five on threes, instead of creating puck movement, trying to open up the triangle, get get players into the slot, they were setting Petrie up for point shots. Yeah, and hoping to get a puck through five or six guys. Uh, no. It's stop that. Honestly, that that's if the goal of the point shot is to get pucks into the, into the crease and go for rebounds. That's fine. I can totally understand that, 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 that plan, but that's not what they're doing because there's no one. It's rare that someone's right there in the crease on the power play. They've got uh, they've they've got their men po- uh, posted uh, just off the posts, and they've got maybe someone in the high slot off to the side, and then a couple of guys on the half wall. So you got five on three. Why are you doing that? You have total control. So it, it's it's those it's that decision making that that lack of killer instinct that they don't quite have there yet. 
Yeah. That to me is, it, it's a signal that Burroughs needs to make some adjustments. Yeah. But we're seeing the same thing as they had an issue with in years past with uh, just zone, zone entry, zone entry, yeah. setting up um, just awful passes. And then when they do, when they have the opportunity for a, for a shot, it's either a one Mississippi, two Mississippi shot, or yeah. it's a shot that never should have happened. And like, I called out Armia for even being on the power play the other day. And I like Armia, save him, save him for five on five, save him for penalty kill. That's where he's, that's where he's very strong, especially in the position that they had him in. He's not a one-time shooter. He's got a no. good shot, but he's yeah. not a one-time shooter. That play, that play that you're talking about, I remember that play. And he was, he was wide open. He was perfectly, perfectly in position. He played it smartly and he did everything he could. But like you said, he's not a one-time shooter. So the pass that he got was, it was, it was hard. It was just slightly off. So it took him a little bit of effort to cradle, settle, and then take a shot. Whereas someone like, uh, like Caulfield, who has that skill set, that natural ability to just let them rip from that point, even with a wobbly puck, that would have made, I think that would have been a big difference on that play. Yeah. And I, I really think that he's just keeping Hoffman's spot warm for him right now. That's, that's more than, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So in, in uh, Renault Lavois said that uh, we'll likely see uh, Hoffman back, I believe Tuesday or Thursday. I believe that's that is what, what the schedule says. Yeah. Yeah. And one would be against the Sharks. The other, I think, would be the Hurricanes. Yes. Yeah. I think Thursday, the, the following Thursday is the game against the Hurricanes. That's right. Um, it would be nice to see him up against the Sharks, but only if he's 100%. Now, yeah. there's no, yeah, don't rough. Yeah. There's no reason. <laughs> but on the power play. I already mean, going Hoffman, 0 and 82. Remember that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but Hoffman is one of those types of people who can fire the puck on a one-timer even yeah. if it's a slightly off pass or it's a little wobbly so again whether it's Caulfield or Hoffman in Armia's spot there that would have probably been a better scoring chance yeah. but Hoffman's out so that brings me to my point uh, to a point that I wanted to make as why is Armia on the power play and not Caulfield Caulfield's getting mop-up time He's still he, like he's still got some power play time. It's just he's not getting. You want to get you want to put out all your. If you know your power play is terrible, which it has been the last yeah. couple games. If your guys are rested, put them out there. Put your put your five best guys out there with, uh, you know, put Petrie on the point because he's the only real guy that they've got back there. No, you know that isn't a uh, a knock on Weidman or anything. It's just he's not at the level of Jeff Petrie. And then you throw out a guy that can win a draw, whether yeah. that be Dvorak and and, and um, Suzuki's actually, I think he's like Suzuki uh, face-off wise this season is just one sec. In game one, he was absolute trash. Suzuki's 50% right now. Yeah. So right. he was 40% in game one yeah. against Toronto, yeah. but he was 60% in game two. Yeah. So that, but that uh, again, so Dvorak and Suzuki are two guys that could win you a face-off. Yeah, in and the then you, 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 right, you put out guys that can shoot the yeah. puck, and you guys that can and, and put out a guy or two that can get them the puck. Now, the successful power plays in the NHL, what do they all have in common? They can set up and they can shoot. They don't yes. just go. They don't just go to one guy, except for a personnel-wise Washington. Wise. Washington. <laughs> yeah but personnel wise they all use their best five players yeah they they stack their absolute best all together on that power play yeah. so that <clears throat> that first wave maybe it gets a minute and a half to two minutes that's right but it's out there yeah whereas the canadians are kind of well you know we're gonna we're gonna play a minute with these guys or we're gonna play a minute with those guys or we're gonna do a minute and a half but they're not stacking their best five. They're not. They're not. And we saw last players. night, and I know that, yes, the power play is an issue, but we saw guys, we, you know, we saw Lekkanen out there. We saw Perot out there. We saw oh, Perot. Right. Yeah. And you know what? Like, Perot is doing his job, right? He's not going to be out there. He's not going to be out there. Uh, like, he set up the goal, right? 
He was one of the guys that helped set up the goal, the, for the, for the, uh, the, the goal against uh, Buffalo. Yeah. Um, he's out there doing what he's got to do, but he's not a guy that should be out there on the power play. Yeah. And that I was going to say, it, he's doing what he needs to do for him, yeah. but he is a fourth line player. He is. He, he shouldn't be out there getting first wave power play time. No. no. And also in the game against Buffalo, for some reason, Caulfield was demoted to the third, uh, to the third line. Yeah. Left Evans wing. And, Evans and Gallagher. Yeah. 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 And they moved Perot up to the second line, right wing or the first line, right wing to take Caulfield spot. Yeah. And Lekkonen was up there for a bit as well. Yeah. Now I'm having a hard time figuring out why, like there was no, there was no glaring error no. on Caulfield's part. No, not, not at all. Not at all. And it wasn't a lack of effort because you can't really single his effort out as poor, seeing as how it was about the same or a light is slightly better than pretty much most of the team. That's right. The way I look at bad. it, the way I look at it, I wasn't I wasn't a fan of taking Caulfield off of there and kind of moving around. And yes, I know that the coach was trying to line blind a little bit, which turned into a lot of bit throughout the <laughs> throughout the game. And um Terry and left the blender behind. Yeah, exactly. And he just like <laughs> fucking Vitamix on, on like full power. Right. And so shout out to Vitamix. If you want to sponsor us. Yeah. Um, but um, the way I look at it, he just signed Suzuki to a, uh, to a long-term deal. It's looking like more than likely Caulfield's going to go down that same Avenue. Keep these guys together. If you want, if you want them to play together, you want them to develop together, play them together. Don't break them up after the second game. Yeah, that brings me to the development point that I wanted to make in this episode. And that's, the Canadians have been uh, criticized quite heavily for their development paths with players where they, they, either they rush them into the league too quickly or they don't give them enough time. Like it, it's kind of a, it's a weird mixture of approaches. Yep. So some players are too, they're too quick to get them into the league. And at times they're way too quick to pull them off the ice or make them do things differently when they make a small error. I, I'm, happy, I, I'm, well, I'm happy right now that they're giving, uh, they're giving a little bit of leeway to like a guy like Romanov because okay. I, I feel, I feel so far that in the first two games he's had, he's made a couple plays, but he hasn't, he hasn't, he hasn't looked like Romanov of last year. Not yet. Um, I don't think they're set. I think they're setting him up for failure with his partner. So uh, no, no well, knock on par- partners. <laughs> yeah. Well, his once main, again, Vitamix blender out sponsor yeah. us. Uh, <laughs> but most of the time he has spent has been with Weidman. Yep. And a lot of the glaring errors that we saw have been when Weidman's on the ice. Now, Weidman is a replacement level six, seven D man who will make errors when trying to push offensive plays. Not exactly the best mentor for Romanov. So there was one play uh, against the Leafs where Weidman was in a battle on the blue line to keep the puck in the zone. He, he seeded the blue line to keep his defensive position lost his footing and tried to make a, a, a poke check at the same time, Romanov was trying to go in to support him as he was falling. And when he, tr- when Weidman reached for the poke check, uh, Romanov read the play and moved back. But that, that slight hesitation gave the gap that, uh, that Toronto needed to create a two on one yeah. kind of leaving Romanov out to, out to dry. So it's these little things that, kind of set Romanov up for failure. Now, if he were to be given a steady diet of Savard as a partner, yeah, that would be a much better pairing. Which I, which I would like to see. Yeah. I really see. And um, the, uh, the Sherratt, like I know Treg put up a, uh, a <laughs> yeah. graphic, a graphic of Sherratt and uh, of Savard, and it's not yeah. as bad as the eye test looks. Um, but that's only going to get you so far as long as you know, like if Chirac can stay out of the box, right? Like, mm. I know the guys, you know, he had an A on his jersey last night. He was playing with some edge. 
you can only go so far. I like I like his physicality, and maybe that was his way of saying, "Hey guys, let's get into the game." Yeah. But at the same time, when Edmonston gets back, I think that there's going to be a little bit more, um, I don't know, control in the in the defensive zone, and there's going to be maybe a little bit more because I. I, I as of right now, I'm thinking that Weidman will likely be the guy that will come out because I've, yeah. I've liked I've liked what I've seen more so from a guy like Kulak than I have from Weidman. Despite Weidman getting the goal the other night, being in the right place at the right time, I think Kulak brings a better overall game, and I keep him in the lineup. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. I think that if if Edmonds if once Edmondson returns, yeah, it kind of but, pushes everyone back into the the right seat. That's right. It's going to be interesting to see who's going to be with Savard though. Is it going to be Kulak, who's been playing top with Petrie? Are they going to keep Sherratt, who's been, for the most part, with Savard? Or are they going to put Romanov up and then maybe do a pairing with Kulak and uh, Sherratt? My feeling is they're more than likely going to do Sherratt and Edmondson, or Sherratt and, and Savard. Uh, Savard, sorry, yeah. uh, and put Kulak with Romanov. That could very well be. Now, I agree. I think Kulak uh, and, uh, and Savard w- would be a good pairing. Uh, I personally would prefer to see Romanov with, uh, with Savard and Kulak with, uh, with Sherrod. I think that would, that would give a better balance to the Canadians defensive core. Like you mentioned near the top of the show, how the Canadians were struggling in their own zone, how they were scrambling everywhere and they, they couldn't control the flow of the game by setting up a good, uh, a good mobile puck mover with a more physical stay at home type that gives more of a balance where they can have better control in their own zone. Agree. And uh, one thing I'll throw out for defense before we move on to something else um, is the usage of Jeff Petrie. Um, I knew knew that he was going to be used quite a bit and I like how they kind of pushed back on it a little bit last night, knowing that they were in a game that they were losing we saw a little bit more of other players other than Petrie. But, uh, you know, if you're going to play him 25 minutes a night, 26 minutes a night or more, um, he played almost 27 in the in the opener. Um, put him out there to succeed. Don't just put him out there because he's got to be out there and he's going to be your number one. We know he's going to be the number one because Weber's not going to be, isn't around. That's right. And that torch has kind of already been passed with the usage of the last year or so of with Petrie, but put him out there to succeed. Don't put him out there just to put him out there just because, you know, he's the guy, get him out there on the power play. If you can give him a little, give him some breaks on the penalty kill. If you can, don't give him every, every draw, you know, use them, use them where you can, where you can succeed. Give him, off, right, give him offensive zone draws, right? We know he's got a bomb and he can, and he, and he can make a good first pass. Yeah. And, and he's the, he is that top pairing puck moving type that they're going to have to rely on, but to rely on him for almost 30 minutes a night, that's all not, season it's, long, it's not sustainable. No, it's not no. sustainable, especially when like, for the most part, he played with Kulak. There was a little bit of a uh, change there as well. But um, Kulak's not a guy that's going to stay there with you for 22 to 25 minutes or more. No. Right. When Evanston gets back, I think we're, I said, I think we're going to see a little bit more cohesion uh, defensively, but um, unless somebody really steps up and in, 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 in the locker room right now, and especially going into tomorrow, tomorrow's going to be the home opener against the Rangers it's going to be the first time uh, many of these players have seen a uh, full arena. No, uh, there's a lot of these guys that have never seen a full Canadians arena, uh, a full Bell Center, and that's going to be a huge, uh, huge adjustment for them. And I hope that they use the crowd like they did during the playoffs when there was only say 2,500 people. 2,500 yeah, in air. That's right. Um, that that really that really pumped them up and 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 really was one of the reasons why they made it to the final. Yeah, absolutely. That, that added motivation, that fuel. I mean, I I know people don't think 
that that makes a difference, but it truly does make a difference. When you're playing in front of an, a mausoleum with co- uh, covers on the seats versus screaming rabid fans <clears throat> who are yeah. in your corner, yeah. it does make a difference. It does. Now, like you mentioned, it's the home opener uh, against the Rangers. Uh, the Canadians are going to be celebrating that Campbell's trophy. <laughs> um, there's not going to be any banner raising because it wasn't a Stanley Cup and this yeah. is Montreal. So that doesn't happen unless it's a Stanley Cup banner. But I'm sure they'll acknowledge the fact that they won the Campbell Trophy. Uh, it, it's a big deal winning something that on, the, the first time in right. team history. Yeah. Now, with that, with the big crowd that's expected at the phone, uh, the phone booth uh, at the Bell Centre, um, the fact that it's the first game, even for guys like, uh, for, uh, guys like uh, Tafoli. Yeah, or who, Anderson. And Anderson and yeah. those Caulfield, et cetera. Yeah. yeah. All those guys are going to be in awe of what they see. Yeah. Losing those two games the way they did, especially a game against Buffalo. They have that motivation to come out and win something. They're going to be in front of their fans. You're really not in trouble until you lose at home. Yeah. Uh, so there's going to be that added motivation. What do you expect to see? I know we expect to see a jump in their game. Do you do you expect to see any adjustments from the coaching staff? I think Paquette's going to come out. That's going to be okay. one. That would be that'd be one that I would make. I would take Paquette out and I give Brooks a shot. Okay. I would give him an opportunity as the fourth line C. Other than that, I don't see I don't see very much in terms of um, of lineup changes. However. Um, I'm thinking that um, the Suzuki Caulfield line, personally, I would take Toffoli off that and switch him out with Anderson. Do you want to take Anderson away from a line that's actually clicking though? Do you want to, do you want to adjust that line to get a different line going? Or, or you would you move, rather, or you, or you move Gallagher and bring some spark up to that first line in, into that line? That that could work. That because right now the only line that's going is the only line that's, that's going is the Dvorak line. That's right. Now I wouldn't want to touch them. Right. Leave them be. I think the Anderson Drouin chemistry is working. Let that be. Uh, yeah. But okay. I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I agree yeah. that uh, making a change on Suzuki's wing mm-hmm. would be beneficial. Yeah. And I like the idea of Gallagher. Yeah. But um, you could even do Armia. That's who I was going to mention. Right. I would I would try to pick Armia based on the method, the way he plays his game. He's more of a puck retrieval player. Yeah. He plays a cycle game. He's very good at, at getting the puck, holding the puck, and then creating something from the half wall. Yeah, then that is, would leave you Gallagher, Toffoli, and Evans. Yes, which would be an yeah. excellent third line. Yeah. And then you'd excellent have, say, Brooks, Perot, and uh, Lackman. Yes, I would not line. take yeah. Lekkonen off that line whatsoever. No, I would not. Um, but uh, for for the Armia, uh, the, the addition of Armia would, I think, create some space for Suzuki to make some plays. Because you saw he he generated some offensive opportunities. He created created some passing lanes with some shifty little body he movements. Did. He did, yeah. But the players weren't quite right in the position to to take advantage of that. Whereas I think in a game where they're a little bit more motivated, a little bit more, you know, pumped up, we'll see those plays develop and actually get finished off either a shot on net, just missed, maybe a nice goal. But I think, I think having Armia would really help Suzuki's game. And that would also open up space for, uh, for Caulfield. And it could possibly give um, a little bit more minute sharing between those lines. Yes. Having having to fully down there and yeah, and maybe yeah. it would and, and maybe it would be something that could get Gallagher going as well. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think uh, if having you had, having another offensive player on your on your on your wing with Evans' speed with those two wingers, I think that would be a, that would be a good mix. Yeah. Uh, it would also provide the Canadians two guys who who could score thirty goals on a third line going up against the bottom six for the Rangers, which could be a mismatch for the Canadians. Yeah. That could, that 
that could be beneficial for them. True. But again, everything rests on the defense because the Canadians complete offensive plan rests on transition. So you don't see a lot of that from the Sherratt Savard pairing. So if there's adjustments to be made, I would hope to see, I would hope to see a little bit more uh, balance given for puck movers and stay at home types without Edmondson there. I don't have a lot of hope for that for Saturday night. All I'm, all I'm going to be hoping for is that uh, Allen's able to make that first save and whatever slap shot zone clearance Surratt makes ends up on a stick uh, at center ice for the Canadians to get a breakaway. That's really, that's my biggest hope. Yeah. Um, <laughs> other than on ice or uh, uh, actual, actual mm-hmm. gameplay, I'm looking forward to the uh, opening ceremony. Canadians always hit it out of the park with, with, yeah. with that. And um I don't really know what I'm expecting. However, even though I doubt it's going to happen, I would love to see Carey Price. Even if it even if it was on, even if it was on the screen and it was just a wave from his fucking couch and he's like, hey guys, I'm doing okay. Yeah. Or or just you know, just anything like that. I'd like I'd love to see Shea Weber. I hope Paul Byron's is a part of it. And and I think it would just really just pump the crowd up that much more and it just kind of give give a give us kind of a sign of you know hey we're all right well they normally do the uh, the announcement you know they they announce the rosters yeah. here's our starting lineup here's yeah. our guys who are dressed and then they bring out the injured players the players right. who aren't dressed yeah so i don't i don't think price is going to be there because no, he's no, because no. he's with obviously the the player assistance program everything like yeah. that dealing with that kind of stuff but it would be it'd be great to see I remember the year, I remember the year he didn't play the opener. Yeah. And remember there was that hesitation and then it was just like Carey Price up on the screen and the fucking place went crazy. And that's my expectation for the opening ceremony uh, tomorrow night. I expect there's not going to be a a video from Price or anything. What I, all I expect is a picture of Price, maybe a video of him in gameplay. Yeah. And they announce him, uh, you know, as they always do. Yeah, as they always were part of the roster. Yeah. Not they are. Yeah. Carey, Price, and everybody yeah. loses their mind. Yeah. What might surprise, I don't expect it, but it would be nice to see Weber yeah. actually being in the building. That would be incredible. Yeah. I doubt it, but it would be nice to see. Yeah. At, at the very least, they'll announce his name. Yeah. People cheer. Yeah. But yeah, I think the pri- uh, announcing Price, I think, was is probably going to be the biggest cheer yeah. next this, the first biggest cheer. The second one, I think, is going to be Jonathan Drewice. Yeah, I think it's going to be pretty big too. I, I like for me, I like to see Weber like pass the torch or something like that. Yeah, you know, so something symbolic. Um, yeah, I don't. I, I don't, don't expect know. to see that until next year when it's guaranteed yeah, 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 he wouldn't yeah. come back. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. it's not so, going to be Seattle Kraken, <laughs> Vegas kind of effects. That was pretty incredible, by the way. I really enjoyed that. I did like the, the I did like I did thing. like that. Yeah. It's not going to be to that effect, but Montreal, they keep it sensible, they keep it classy, and they always uh they always do a very good job. They're always a, a bar above though. Their their production value, they're yeah, they're not as flashy as Vegas in some areas, but man, when they do something, they they hit you where it counts, right yeah. in the heart. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to seeing what the production staff has for us tomorrow night before the game. Now, I think that pretty much covers everything uh, that we were going to talk about for this episode. Is there any last thoughts? Um, not to do with the last two games. It's going to throw out a couple names. Uh, some guys that are doing quite well in junior to start the year. Uh, Riley Kidney, five games is at nine points with five goals. Joshua uh, Ra, who I thought looked very good uh, during uh, during camp, uh, with Sherbrooke, he's got eight points with three goals in five games. Xavier Semino, remember that guy that's just a really little guy, a little engine yep. that could. Uh, eight points in five games. Again, uh, Meshack, Mysack, whatever you want to call him. Um, so far in two games with Hamilton, uh, he's got five points with two goals. 
And I'll throw one more in. I'll throw two more in there. Uh, Arbor Jackeye, who just signed his uh, entry-level deal after a, a, um, a very good uh, camp with the Canadians. Uh, and I'm happy they signed him because now I can pronounce his name. Uh, he's got three assists in uh, three assists in two games with Kitchener. And uh, Caden Gooley, uh, he's the uh, captain of the Prince Albert Raiders. In his first game, he picked up two assists. Yeah, so the Canadians' prospect system is looking pretty good. Um, you look down in the States of the NCAA, uh, Luke Tuck is doing extremely well. Yeah. Uh, Harris, Struble, those two are lighting it up down in Northeastern. Yeah, uh, like now, Biondi, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and for my final thought, the Laval Rocket are going to be opening their season tonight as we record. It's the 15th of October, Friday night. I'm going to be watching that game for recruits and giving my, uh, my thoughts on that game. So Paling is going to be there on a line with Yalonen and Lavaliger RHP. So there's going to be a, that that's an interesting, interesting line. Cause that to me, that, that looks like a third line in the NHL in the next two, three years. So it's something to look forward to. There's a lot of good futures here. And if anyone's really still upset about two losses at the start of a year after getting to the cup final, I don't know what else to say. I mean, yeah, sure. Live and die by the team, but keep some perspective. Even if this year turns out to be a year where they miss the playoffs, keep in mind that maybe sometimes taking a step back, getting a little bit more um, in in a deep prospect year is a good thing in the long run, because isn't that what we want to see that somewhere in the future, this team is an actual Stanley cup contender and not just the team that can make the playoffs and could do something. Just a thought, just keep some perspective. That's all I'm, I mean, you do you and (laughs) do whatever you want. But um, that, that's my point of view. Um, so I think that does it. I think so. I, oh, oh, one more thing. I want to remind everyone that we are still selling the T-shirts, the Habs Unfiltered T-shirt, as, uh, as I'm wearing right now. Um, they, uh, they are comfortable. They're well-designed. And all the profits go to Vets Canada to help homeless veterans. Um, you'll notice our logo is based on a poppy and that's more than just a nod to the flanders fields poem that the canadians use for their passing the torch it's also the fact that we are in the military and the poppy means a lot to us so by helping us sell these buying these t-shirts and helping us give this money to vets canada you're helping people that we have served with or who have served before us that deserve this this little bit of help, this little step up, because if you've stepped up, worn the uniform and served our country, you deserve to have your basic needs met. And that's what Vets Canada tries to do. Uh, So those who have bought them, I want to thank you. Those who haven't yet, get on there, get onto 514 Sports uh, or 514 Shirts, go buy a shirt. Uh, The link's Matt, you've shared them quite often, so have yeah. I. <clears throat> They're on all the uh, all our socials. And again, I want to thank everyone for listening. I want to thank everyone for interacting with us. You guys help make th- what this show what it is. So remember, if you were talking about it, so are we. Abs Unfiltered has special sponsors. Uh, Go to seatgiant.ca to save 35% on all your fees when purchasing tickets to NHL, CFL, Major League Baseball, concerts, whatever event Seat Giant sells. Use the code UNFILTERED20, save 35% on your fees. Go to builtbar.ca and save 10% using the code UNFILTERED20 on your purchases online. Go to East Coast Lifestyle. And use the code UNFILTERED20 to save 20% off your purchase of any clothing at East Coast Lifestyle. Also, Lift Life. Go to liftlife.ca and use the code HABS10 to save 10%. And 
for a special promo until Christmas, Habs Unfiltered will be selling t-shirts in conjunction with 514 shirts. If you purchase one of our shirts, the entire profit for the sale goes to Vets Canada. Vets Canada does work to end veterans homelessness across Canada. So let's help a great cause and wear a great shirt. Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This premier independent fan experience podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and brings you honest and in-depth Montreal Canadiens discussion and entertainment. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Pudnay are proud to be one of your trusted sources for Habs and hockey news. If you are talking about it, so are we. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast, NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.